Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Then what? Now that we know more about God's abounding grace, and that when sin abounds, grace abounds even more, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. <clears throat> For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with or rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. When we were studying about the ministry of John the Baptist, and then about the baptism of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, we considered the meaning and significance of water baptism. And by the way, the word baptism just comes from the Greek baptizo, which means to immerse. So we're talking about water baptism in terms of this immersion in water. Jesus was not baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but rather to fulfill all righteousness demonstrating the need for and providing an example of being baptized as a change in status and being baptized in obedience and submission to God. In the Old Testament, immersion in water was established for ritual purity. For example, Jews who according to the law would become defiled by contact with a corpse had to use the mikvah, the bath, the pool, and they had to be immersed in the bath before they could be allowed to enter the temple or participate in any of the temple rituals. So immersion rituals were distinct from circumcision, 
And we looked at this when we considered the life of Abraham. God institutes circumcision as a mark, as a sign of this covenant that he's establishing with, uh, with them. And so circumcision was this entry or this means by which they identified as being part of the covenant community. But the physical act of immersion in the mikvah, this baptism, that represented a spiritual change in status regarding purification, restoration, and qualification for the full participation with the community. So we were saying, so when they were doing that, they were saying, I'm being cleansed, I'm being purified, and now I'm being restored back to the community, right? Or I'm being restored in this way. And at that time, when we were studying Luke, the Gospel of Luke, more than two years ago, we actually read this portion in Romans 6, and I made these two points about baptism, that prior to the cross, as part of the old covenant, John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples administered a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so they were speaking about a change in status of the heart that looked forward to being united with Christ. After the cross, based on the new covenant, baptism represents being buried with Christ and then being raised up from the dead to live a new life in Christ. Again, it's the same change in status of the heart, but now we're looking back at what Christ has done. So that's how... Paul is explaining this in Romans chapter 6. That's what he's laying out. And he says, should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? No, absolutely not. How do we then publicly declare that we are not going to continue in sin? How do we say, I'm not going to continue in sin? How do we make that proclamation to the world? How do we say that? How do we say, tell the world that we are dead to sin? And how do we remind ourselves? How do we remember that we have died to sin. It is through baptism in water. So baptism is in essence our death notice. It's not an obituary, it's not a biography, it's not saying this person did this and this person did that. And it's simply a death notice. If you notice, you know, if you and in the past in the newspaper, you know, you would have these death notices. This person died at this time. Nothing else, no biography, no obituary, just a death notice. And baptism is our death notice. We're essentially saying, on this day, in this time, I died. I died. So we declare it, and we make this declaration that our old self has died. Baptism declares the death and burial of our old self. So when we go in under the water, we're saying, I'm dead, and I'm there, I'm buried. Now, we do come back out, there's a resurrection coming. But at least in that first part, baptism is declaring the death and burial of our old self. And look at verses 3 and 4, what we just looked at, what we just read. When we are baptized, when we are immersed in the water, we are buried with Christ in his death. And last week, I reminded us that we must confess with our mouths that what we believe in our hearts, that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives. This week, I'm reminding us that we must confess with our bodies that we have died to sin. Does that mean that we will never sin again? No. In fact, Paul makes it clear, repeatedly he makes it clear, that we still do sin. However, because we are united with Christ, who triumphed over sin, 
we are declaring that we are no longer under the reign, the ruling power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free from sin. We can choose to sin, but we can now choose not to sin. Sin does not control us. That's the difference. That's what we're saying when we say that we are declaring this freedom from sin willfully and publicly in water baptism. We're saying to the world, of my own will and of my own confession, I am dead to sin. And it's not just that we are buried with Christ in his death. We're also raised up with Christ in new life just as we are raised up from the water. So just as we come back out of the water, we see that baptism declares the raising up to life of the new self. So if we're saying the old self is dead, now we're saying the new self is alive in Christ Jesus. Christ not only triumphed over sin, he also triumphed over death. Because he died once for all, the life he now lives, and therefore the life we now live in him, we live to God. That's the difference. And here's the thing. Here's why Paul goes into this next section about the instruments and the offering our body parts and members for righteousness. When the whole body is dead and buried, and then the whole body is raised up, then the whole body, all parts of the body, of that resurrected body, are offered up to God. Nothing held back. Nothing you know, that we would withhold from God. And so notice what Paul says in verses 12 through 13. He says, how should we count ourselves alive to God? How do we show that we are now in this new self and that our whole body has been offered up to God. How do we do that? We do not offer any part of ourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather we offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And as we offer every part of ourselves to him, we offer it as instruments of righteousness. That means that our eyes, what we watch, our ears, what we listen to, our hands, what we do, our feet, where we go, our stomachs, our appetites, our hearts, who or what we love. We offer every part of our bodies, of ourselves, to God, to be sanctified for his purpose and for his will. That's the call on our lives. That's the declaration we're making. That's the, what we are persevering in day after day after day to say, Lord God, you give me the strength. Now that I've declared you, you give me the strength to offer all the parts of my body to you. And we have varying degrees of this. For each one of us, this is going to look different. For me, it may be very easy to offer up my hands, right? But it's difficult for me to offer up my eyes. For you, it may be very easy to offer up your ears. You're very careful, you're very diligent, you're vigilant about what you listen to. And if someone would speak a word that is not gracious, 
You do not perpetuate that conversation. You may be finding it easy to offer up your years to the Lord, but your tongue, what you speak, what you say, may not be offered up to the Lord. So we, are, we have this responsibility, we have this, this charge, that as children of God, who have been raised up to new life in Him, that we would offer up all the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. I mentioned last week that we would cross-refer to the book of Titus when we were in Romans chapter 6. So I want you to go to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And it says this, and it's a, it's a very good connection to what we've just been talking about in Romans chapter 6. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8 says, At one time... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, because of His grace. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Titus is restating everything we've just been learning. How do we live to God? We remember that the grace and mercy of God, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, and the work that he has done in us to make us righteous. That, because of that, we crucify the sinful nature with its passions and pleasures. With its sinful desires. And we don't try to create a new life for ourselves by our strength or our good works. We appropriate the new life of Jesus. And we say, oh Lord God, I am raised up to new life in you. In you. Not because of what I am doing. I receive that, I live in that, I move in that. And that brings us to this point of identity. Baptism reminds us that we belong to Jesus. We are no longer our own. We're no, no, we're no longer even alive. We're walking around. We're dead men walking. We're supposed to be able to say, I don't belong to myself anymore. That man, that person died. That old self died. I actually now belong to Jesus. I've been raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. When we are baptized, we are declaring to the world that we belong to Jesus. And every time we remember our baptism, we remind ourselves that we belong to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
We live our lives every day on this earth as if it's up to us to live it. But if you were dead, you wouldn't be worrying about that. You'd be dead. We need to live our lives on this earth so that Christ is living through us. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Last week I asked if there was anyone who would like to share their testimony of baptism this week. Since we didn't have any volunteers, I want to share with you a personal testimony from halfway around the world and from another time. Begum Bilkus Sheikh was a Pakistani lady from a wealthy, prominent, politically powerful Muslim family. She wasn't particularly religiously observant, but in 1966, when she was 46 years old, after her husband had abandoned her, she began earnestly reading the Quran, looking for answers and guidance for her life. In the Quran, she found multiple references to Jesus. She had her chauffeur, who was a Christian, get her a Bible because she was curious about this Jesus. The first Bible verses that caught her eye was from Romans chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, where it says, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. These verses deeply affected her. She sought out David and Sinov Mitchell, American missionaries in Pakistan, and asked them about Jesus. And through a whole set of divinely orchestrated interactions and a remarkable series of dreams and visions that she had directly, Bilkis Sheikh gave her life to Jesus. And as she continued to grow in the Lord, she became convinced of, and she became convinced of this truth, and felt that Jesus was telling her directly that she should be baptized in water. For her, and for many people around the world, a public act of water baptism is not just a spiritual death notice. It's an actual death notice. People have been killed because they were baptized. We have a pastor friend in India who when he baptizes people, he asks them, are you willing to not just die to self, not just about a spiritual death, but are, are you also willing to die physically for becoming a Christian? And if they're not sure, if they hesitate, he doesn't baptize them. That's how seriously he wants them to take this commitment. Because in that part of the world and in many other places, if you say, I'm getting baptized, it's a death sentence. So here, Bilkis Sheikh, uh, she had decided that she would be baptized. Now, I, I'm not sharing all the dramatic details of her life. She ended up coming to the US through the Billy Graham Association and Samaritan's Purse, and she shared her life story in many of Billy Graham's crusades. And in 1978, Bilkis Sheikh published a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. This was a 
this was an amazing concept for her that God would, would agree, would, would, would say that you could call him father. And so, so that's the name of the book. I dared to call him father about how she came to know the Lord Jesus. And I encourage you to get and read the 25th anniversary edition of the book. And that was released in 2003. And that edition, which is available in the library and Hoopla and all these places, that has an epilogue by Mrs. Mitchell, that American missionary who was speaking to her. And that, in that epilogue, she corroborates a lot of what was you know, in the book and the accounts that were given. And she gives a wonderful additional perspective to the story. So I encourage you, get the book, read it. It's a very short read, but it's a wonderful testimony of this lady's conversion and what the Lord did through her for, to touch the lives of many. But here's what Bilkis Sheikh wrote in the book about her baptism. She says, I knew that the significance of baptism is not lost on the Muslim world. A person can read the Bible without arousing too much hostility. But the sacrament of baptism is a different matter. To the Muslim, this is the one unmistakable sign that a convert has renounced their Islamic faith to become a Christian. To the Muslim, baptism is apostasy. So here was a difficult testing point. The issue was clearly drawn. Would I yield to the fear of being treated as an outcast or worse, as a traitor? Or would I obey Jesus? First of all, I had to be certain that I was really obeying the Lord and not some illusion. For I was far too new at being a Christian to trust voices. How could I test my impression better than through the Bible? So I went back to my Bible and I read how Jesus himself had been baptized in the Jordan. And I looked again at Paul's letter to the Romans where he talked about the right in terms of death and resurrection. The old man dies and a new creature rises, leaving all his sins behind. Well, that was that. If Jesus was baptized and if the Bible called for baptism, then of course I would obey. This morning, as we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard, I want to challenge you that you respond by issuing a death notice. In all the things that I do here from the pulpit, you know that I don't make a demand of you in any way. I don't say to you, you must do this. I say to you, here's what the word of God says. Now you pray. You just talk to the Lord. You seek the Lord. You ask him what you must do. And you obey what the Holy Spirit tells you. Whatever you do, it has to be voluntary. It has to be of personal conviction. It has to be of a spiritual response. I told you last week that I was 10 years old when I stood up in a public meeting and I said, oh, I accept the Lord Jesus as my personal savior. I didn't fully understand everything about it, but I made that declaration. I confessed that. I was about 14 years old when I went into the waters of baptism and I said, oh Lord God, I want to publicly declare that I am dead to who I am or who, what I've done and who, what I've been and I want to be raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. More than 40 years later, I'm still discovering how to die to self. But I thank God 
that in that particular time, I made that declaration, and I look back on that. I look back at that memorial, and I say, oh, God, I thank you for what you did. Now, whatever the Lord is asking you to do, and maybe you've been baptized, maybe you've not, maybe you've never understood this, maybe you've never paid attention to it, whatever the Lord is prompting you to do, in any action that you may take, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you this morning that you do issue a death notice. That you decide, that you say, what is it in my life that needs to be put to death? What are the members of my body that need to be put to death? What are the areas in my thinking that need to be put to death? What is, when is it that I need to declare and I need to publicly put a notice out that says I died? And it's no longer I who live. You know, if people are coming up to you years after you said that you died and they're still recognizing you, maybe you're not so dead. Because if we're dead and Christ is living in us, then when people come up to us, they shouldn't recognize us. They should recognize Jesus. They should be able to look at us and say, there's something different about you. You're not the same person that I knew all those years ago. Maybe if you go to a 50th class reunion, maybe if you're meeting up with somebody who hasn't seen you in a while, maybe days. Every single day, every single time that some progress has taken place, is there more of our dying to self and being raised up to new life? in Christ Jesus. Is that process of constant dying and resurrection power, is that process evident in your life? Is somebody who's able to look at your life or who is looking at your life able to determine that you're dying and being raised afresh? If you are, praise God. If you're not, this is not condemnation. It's just a reminder. It's a reminder to say, oh God, thank you. That you give me the ability. You give me the power. What is it in my life? What is it that has a hold of me? That where sin has control over some area in my life. It's not that the reigning power of sin has been broken there. Sin is still reigning. Still is still, sin is still controlling. Sin is still affecting this area of my life. And I want to turn this over to you, Lord. I want to die. I want to die to this so that you may live. Even as we close this service, if you want to spend some time here and you want to just simply worship and call out to the Lord, you can do that. You can linger here. You can pray and so on. But I want to encourage you that you don't just think of this today. Think of this when you go home. Think of this during the week. Think of it during the rest of the month. Think of it and say, Lord God, how do I respond? How do I take action? How do I obey and submit to you? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so rich, so complete for us. And I thank you, Lord, that you, you died for our sake. Lord, you were buried for our sake. 
and you rose again for our sake. Father, I pray that we will identify not just in words or in just assenting to this truth, but we will declare it in our actions. We will declare it with our words and we will declare it with our bodies that we have been buried with Christ and now we have been raised again to new life in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that you hear us, that you answer us. Lord, throughout this week, let your word continue to speak to us. As we look at the examples of people, the heroes of faith and those that have gone on before us, we thank you, Lord, that people took very hard decisions and sometimes they suffered, sometimes they died because of those decisions. But I pray, Lord, that we will be encouraged as we read those accounts to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.